Well, good morning and uh, welcome to Sojourn. If this is your first time here, it's good to see you. Glad that you're here this morning. Uh, my name is Justin, I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, man, what a beautiful day it is to gather together as the church. Um, if you are new here, we'd love to meet you after the service, so please come up and say hello. Uh, if you've got a few minutes, we'd love to introduce myself to you in person and, uh, and get to know you a little bit. Uh, we're going to be in the Bible as we are every week, so if you need a copy of the scriptures this morning, if you just raise your hand, uh, somebody will bring a Bible around to you. So just keep your hand up till they find you, and please know that that's a gift to you if you don't actually own a copy of the Bible. Uh, we get a lot of those just so that we can hand them out, and so we'd love for you to be able to take that home with you this morning. Also, if you haven't been here the last few weeks, something we've started doing over the last few weeks is just inserting a little half sheet of paper in your bulletin uh, for you to take sermon notes on. And so if you uh, are a note taker, maybe you already have a journal, uh, but maybe for those of you that maybe haven't done that before, this is just a, a good resource for you, just this little piece of paper where you can focus and write down things that are jumping out to you that God is doing in your heart and your life as you're listening to the sermon this morning, uh, which will also help you as you engage with community throughout the week to continue to see these truths impact your heart and your life uh, throughout the week. But as we get into our time, let's just go to the Lord in prayer and ask him to bless our time in his word this morning. Father, we come before you are grateful for a sunny day. Just a reminder to us that your mercies are new every morning. And so Lord, we pray that as we Rejoice in your creation, rejoice in the coming of spring and warmer weather and green all around us. Lord, that we would remember that you're the one that's behind that, that this is your good creation, and that every winter into spring is a time to remind us of resurrection, that out of death life comes, and that the Son of Righteousness has risen from the grave. And so, Lord, this morning we pray that the Son of Righteousness would rise and shine over our hearts and our lives this morning. We pray that the light of the glory of Christ that we see in your word would shine into our hearts this morning. We pray as we open up your word that you would work in us, that you would guide us in the good way, in the way that you would call us to go. And Holy Spirit, we pray that you'd fill us that you'd make us attentive this morning to what you would have to say to us, believing that your word is for us, is a gift to us, and that your preached word is a means of grace to us to be able to understand more of who you are and what you've called us to be, what you allow us to be a part of as your people. And so I pray as we open up your word, looking at a few short verses this morning, that you would draw us closer to you that we'd recognize your presence in our lives and rejoice that you know us and that we can know you. And so we pray that you bless this time and pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You know, the other night I, I woke up in the middle of the night, which these days happens pretty often. Uh, I've got three kids and I don't know if there's a conspiracy against us or something, but they regularly wake us up in the middle of the night. But this particular night, I didn't wake up because of one of our kids. I woke up, and I'm not really sure why I woke up, but I woke up, and my mouth was really, really dry, and I had to go to the bathroom all at the same time. But what did I do? I didn't get up, right? Just lay there thinking about the fact that my mouth was really dry and that I needed to go to the bathroom and that I didn't actually want to get up and do anything about either one of those things. I mean, have, any of you, have you guys ever had those incoherent moments where it's not that hard to resolve the issue that you have but your brain's not working quite right and you just continue to la labor there thinking about the problem that you actually have. 
But what if I'd actually gotten up to get a drink of water and I'd gone to and I got the glass and I put it to my mouth, put it to my lips, expecting a cool, refreshing drink of water. And instead of getting water, I got a mouthful of sand and gravel. Well, now I'd have an even bigger problem, right? First off, they're just straight up terrible to think about filling your mouth with sand. But I'd be sputtering and spattering, trying not to wake up the rest of my family in the middle of the night with this mouthful of sand. It'd be the worst thing that could possibly happen. In the midst of this hurried culture that we find ourselves in, this hurried life that many of us live on a regular basis, you know, one thing that I think can happen, one area of our lives that oftentimes can get at least pushed to the margin for some of us, and maybe for others just all the way just kind of pushed to the wayside in our lives, is our spiritual life, our relationship with God. And when I say relationship with God, I mean our connection with Him, our communion with Him, with the living God. Maybe you can resonate with that. That oftentimes in the midst of your busyness, the midst of your hurriedness, that you neglect, that you oftentimes feel distant from the Lord and just spending time with Him. Maybe you can resonate with what David writes in Psalm 69. In Psalm 69, David says, crying out to the Lord, Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in deep mire where there's no foothold. I have come into deep waters and the floods sweep over me. I am weary with my crying out. My throat is parched. My eyes grow dim with waiting for my God. And there are times when our souls feel parched. We're thirsty for God in a seemingly dry and weary land. But when we get out of the bed, if we get out of the bed, oftentimes we just have a glass full of sand. In our hurried culture and hurried lives, our souls are thirsty. But how do we get refreshment? How do we find refreshment in the midst of these times in our lives? And I would say maybe you feel that way even if you don't call yourself a follower of Christ because I believe that all of us are looking for things in our lives to satisfy our souls. We, we run after things in our lives to satisfy our souls. And so this morning as we continue in our six-week sermon series called A Hurried Life, we're going to look at another psalm and talk about the practice of presence. The practice of presence. And my hope is is that God will use our time in His Word this morning to show us what it looks like for you and for me and for us together as a church family to calm and quiet our souls before the Lord. To calm and quiet our souls in a world that oftentimes does uh, does not value calm or quiet. And so my hope is God will help us to understand that and that we can fight for that both corporately as a church family together and individually in our lives. So may God bless the preaching of his word this morning. We've been looking at several psalms through this series, and this morning we're going to be in Psalm 131. So if you have your Bible, you can go ahead and flip open to Psalm 131. We were in Psalm 130 last week, and so we're just continuing on with this next psalm this morning. It's three short verses. David is the author, and this is God's word to us this morning. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I have calmed 
and quieted my soul. Like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. We're going to break our sermon up into three points for these three verses. The first point, preoccupied. The second, presence. And the third, purpose. Preoccupied, presence, and purpose. So let's jump into our first point, which is in verse 1. You know, one thing that's pretty uh, striking to me in verse 1 is the personal relationship that David has with God. I noted this a little bit last week, but it's really crucial for us today as we look at the practice of presence. He says, O Lord. Now, in your English translation of your Bible, it's likely that Lord there is capitalized L-O-R-D. And the reason that it's capitalized, anytime you see that in your English Bible, what that is, it's a translation from Hebrew of God's personal name, Yahweh. The Hebrew letters, Y-H-W-H in English, are Yahweh. And every time in your English Bible that you see Lord capitalized, that's what it's translating for most of the Bible translations that we have today. Now, something interesting about that, the reason they use Lord there is because it's a description of the fact that God, this personal God, Yahweh, is our covenant Lord. He's our covenant Lord. He's in covenant relationship with his people. And a covenant is a commitment. It's a promise. And God has broken no covenants with his people. No promises with his people. So when David cries out in prayer, Oh, Yahweh, oh, Lord, he's declaring something about the God he's speaking to. This is his God who knows him. His God who he can know. And who who you and I can know as well. This is a personal relationship, a personal name for a personal God. So what does David say in verse 1? Well, he's declaring something through song and prayer about a work that God has done in his life. David says these things, and what do they mean? He says, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. At its core, what David is talking about is his pride and presumption. His pride and presumption in life. And what David is saying about all of these things is not a boast. He's not boasting in the fact that he has overcome these things. He's not boasting in the, in the fact that he has figured out how not to be prideful, how not to be presumptuous in his life. It's a hope and reality of his heart as he comes before the living God. As he comes before God, that God has done this work in him. It's an acknowledgement of the work of the Lord. Now, all of these things that David is talking about here, they have to do with a bunch of different things that I think a lot of us probably struggle with at different times. This is about being arrogant or proud, about having a misplaced focus on things that we want or things that we have, about thinking more highly of ourselves than we ought, about believing that we are better than other people, looking down our noses at others. It's about selfish ambition at the expense of others. It's about thinking that we deserve more than we have. And David is saying, look, I've struggled with these things. I've I've had these things in my life, but the Lord has helped to root them out of my life. And I'm thankful 
for that. David has come to realize that he is not in control of his life or his world. And that might be the most significant part of this first verse. See, this is both a declaration and a confession. It's a declaration and a confession of a very real struggle that I think so many of us have, and it's this struggle. The struggle to be, to try and be God instead of trusting in God. Now, you may be thinking, hold on a second. I, I, I don't think I actually struggle to be God. I, I, don't, I don't think I really struggle to do that in my own life. That seems actually kind of ridiculous to think about the fact that I do that. And, and maybe to a level you're right. Yes, you probably, hopefully, don't stand in front of the mirror every day and look at yourself in the eyes and say, I am God. I, again, I hope you don't do that. If you do, let's, let's meet up. Um, I hope you probably don't go around your house with your wife or your kids or your roommates and tell them to bow down to you and worship you as God. Again, if that's you, shoot me a note. Let's talk. But, but I don't think, most of us probably don't do that, but I think the reality is for most of us, for our life, when we're struggling with this reality of wanting to be God or be like Him, it's much more subtle than at times much more sinister than that. It's the subtle belief that creeps in and up in our hearts that we can master and control our lives. It's the belief that we can master and control our lives and the lives of others. That we can manipulate circumstances to suit our wants and our desires and our needs. It's the belief that things that really are infinite, that are otherworldly, can actually be fully understood by us. That we're able to wrap our minds around all things. Simply put, it's the belief that we can know all things, be all things, and fix all things. That we can know everything there is to know, that we can be all things to all people at all times, ever present, and that we can fix any situation that's going on in our life or the life of another person. And the problem is our hurried culture promotes this. Our hurried culture, I think, even encourages us in this. You are the master of your own fate. You are the captain of your own ship. You are the director of your life. Self-actualization rules the day in American culture. Amy and I recently joined a gym. And we went in January, like so many other people do, and joined the gym. And we even asked the guy, we're like, hey, I mean, we're like one of like many people you've seen, right, in January. It's the start of the year. You've got to start working out again. But we've actually been going for the last few months. But unfortunately, right after we joined the gym, at the beginning of March, we got a note saying that our gym was shutting down. Like, come on, I'm trying here. But it was shutting down permanently. And so we were like, okay, we got to keep this up. So we decided to join another gym. But I noticed something in both of these gyms. Both of these gyms promote a message. And and they preach something to us. And I think that's something we have to recognize is that culture is always telling us stuff. They're always preaching at us. The first gym had a slogan, and it says this, I built this. I built this. The second gym has a banner in different places. It says, I can do it all in my lifetime. I can do it all in my lifetime. Now, you may think, wait a minute. Okay, they're not calling you to be God. It's not like, again, they're saying, hey, you keep growing on that elliptical machine because if you keep going, you're going to be like God. That's not what it says, right? No, it's a lot more subtle than that. Not overtly do they communicate that, but what it is communicating is the mantra of our world. 
The mantra that you and I are prone to fall into, that we looked at the first week that we were in this series in Psalm 127, instead of having a posture that says, unless the Lord, we can easily fall into the posture of unless I, unless I, I take ownership. This is my life. I'm going to do what I want to do, and I'm going to be whoever I want to be. But as we saw in Psalm 127, unless the Lord, every single thing that you do and I do is done in vain as we assert ourselves to try and be like God instead of depending on him. Listen, verse 1 is not an excuse to not work hard. I don't want us to hear in this like, well, if I can't do these things, if I can't take ownership over my life, then I guess it's a call to laziness. This is not a call to not work hard. It's not a call to not pay attention or, or to avoid the challenges of your life. It's a call for you and for me to do those things with humility instead of pride, with dependence, instead of independence. When David says he does not occupy himself with things too great and marvelous, he is saying there are actually things beyond my ability to understand. There are things that are beyond my ability to control in my life for me to wrap my mind around, and that's okay. It's okay. It's actually freeing. It's freeing for you and me to recognize the fact that we are not in control. It's freeing to recognize the gift, the gift of grace, of knowing the one who is, the sovereign covenant Lord of all creation. So it allows us, along with David, then in those moments to throw off pride, to throw off presumption. But you and I need to be aware. We need to be aware because it's easy to become distracted It's easy to become preoccupied with things that should cause us to cling to the sovereign Lord of all creation, to cling to our covenant Lord instead of trying to be our own covenant Lord, our own sovereign God. Man, I struggle with this. I can get so distracted and preoccupied, getting focused in on the details of my life or ministry and thinking about all the things that I need to be in charge of and in control of and have mastered and perfect in my life. So often, I believe that my identity, and I would say even especially for me as a pastor, is tied up in my doing instead of my being. One sage of the faith, I think, hits the nail on the head about what can happen if we are unaware of this temptation and unaware of who our God actually is. He says the taste for God, which is a good thing, the taste for God is debased into a greed to be God. Being loved by God is twisted into a lust to God performance. Something that's good that we desire to be with Him gets turned into wanting to be Him. And then recognizing that we are loved by him can get turned very quickly into this performance mentality that I have to prove myself to him by what I do. And church, it's good to recognize our limits. Limits are not a bad thing because we are not limitless beings. And so much of our hurriedness in this life comes back to this. It's why we need to rest. It's why we need to slow down. Because it's in those moments of pause that we can acknowledge the fact that we are not God, but we can know the one who is. As one scholar so aptly puts it, the difference between God and us is that he never thinks he is us. 
in all of this, David is declaring a needed humility, a needed humility for all of us as we consider the fact that one, we are not God, and two, that we can actually be in relationship with the one true God. It's like what we talked about last week. Yahweh, our covenant Lord and God, is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness to thousands upon thousands, forgiving iniquity, forgiving sin, forgiving transgression, forgiving rebellion, forgiving us for trying to assert ourselves to be what we aren't. The righteousness that God demands from us, He's given to us. This perfection that He demands from us, He's given to us in His Son, His perfect Son through His life and death and resurrection who took on our sin and our desire to be God and actually brought us to God. It's amazing grace that you and I can be known by the living God and that we can know Him, that we can be in relationship with Him. But in this hurried life, it's easy, even encouraged, to become preoccupied instead of pausing to reflect and experience the presence of our covenant Lord. This is why this is so critical for us to address as we talk about these things, because life, your work, your, your life at home and relationships, whatever it is, anything that you would encapsulate in all of your life, ministry, any of those things done apart from the amazing power and abiding presence of God will lead to burnout and bitterness. Two things that do not bring any glory to God and no peace to your life. So maybe the first thing we need to do this morning is ask ourselves a set of simple questions. Am I preoccupied? Am I distracted? Am I burnt out or bitter? Am I preoccupied? Am I distracted? Am I burnt out or bitter? And if you answer yes to any of those things, if you're honest with yourself, and I'll be honest, there's times where all three of those things, yes, yes, yes. If you answer yes to any or all of those things, friend, be encouraged this morning because there is hope. There is hope for you and for me. And that leads to our second point this morning, presence. We see in verse 2, David says, but, but I have calmed and quieted my soul. I've calmed and quieted my soul. In contrast to being preoccupied, David has sought to calm and quiet his soul. And so what does it mean to be calm and quiet? This is about being slow and steady, unhurried, sitting and soaking not frenetic or out of control, not restless or anxious. And man, that sounds good to me. I don't know if any of you here feel the need to have a little calm and quiet in your life. But let's not miss what is calm and quiet. He says he's calm and quieting his soul. His soul, his inner self, the core of who he is as a person. An embodied soul We're both physical and spiritual, right? We have this soul, this relationship with God as he's created us and we embody a physical body. And so he's saying, I'm calming and quieting. That's what is within me. So how does he do this? Where does he do it? When does he do it? Well, he gives us an analogy, a word picture to show us and call us to something. He says, I've calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child, my soul is within me. Now, first off, this is just straight up a humbling picture. 
It's a humbling picture of dependence, of dependence and grace that I, again, I'm not God. I'm actually like a child. So what exactly is he saying here through this picture? My son Owen, our oldest, uh, he, when he was a baby, um, he wasn't generally, for the most part, a very fussy kid unless he was hungry. Uh, Owen was a big boy when he was a baby. And so he liked to eat. And when he wanted to eat, he let you know. And he would get upset. But the thing is, he would get so agitated and frantic in his hunger that when Amy went to feed him, I sometimes have to hold his arms back because he was just flailing and screaming and yelling because he was so hungry. So a bad combination, right? I'm hungry and I'm unsatisfied at the same time. So he would act crazy and we're trying to help him, but he just wouldn't let us help him. He's so spastic in the moment. This phrase, weaned child, can be taken as a child who no longer breastfeeds or a child who has just eaten and is sitting with his or her mother. But the key thing here about this is the world tells us, our flesh calls us to fret. It calls us to worry. It calls us to frenetic activity. It calls us to be frantic and anxious. And we have to work in order to get peace. We have to work in order to have value. We have to work in order to be satisfied. But a child who has eaten and been cared for by his mother is full and satisfied and at peace in her presence. When kids get upset or hurt, usually being with mama can calm them down. I mean, just the other night, two of our kids woke up in the middle of the night at the same time, and uh, I went to help one of them, and he got upset because mommy wasn't helping them, and so then she went, and the other one got upset because she left like, what, my chopped liver or something? You know, I mean, <laughs> but it just tell, right, they just, they love just the presence of their mom. It's a comforting presence in their life, a calming, comforting, gentleness, tenderness, care, and comfort, and peace. And so you can picture a parent carrying a child, cradling a child close, and in that moment, that child has no worry at all. They're calm. They're at peace. There's just a simple joy because they're in their mother's arms. And so David is saying, instead of being preoccupied with trying to be like God, I'm satisfied in the presence of God like a child is with his or her mother. His soul is calm and quiet in the presence of the all-powerful, all-knowing, ever-present God. See, the things we struggle with, we want to be all things to all people. We're going to be in all places at all at the same time. We're going to be able to fix anything. We're going to be able to know everything. But it's in this moment, this contrast here where David's saying, I'm not that, but man, I get to be in the presence of the one who is. The all-powerful, all-knowing, ever-present God. So brothers and sisters, if we are to calm and quiet our souls in the midst of a hurried culture and hurried life, we have to come to our Father like an eager child, satisfied in His presence, satisfied in him. But this call to childlikeness is not childlikeness in being naive. It's quite the opposite. It's actually a sign of maturity. Knowing and believing that satisfaction and contentment and calm comes in the presence of our covenant Lord. And just like a child, we can be content and calm in God's presence even if we don't understand many things going on in our life right now. Kids don't think about that oftentimes. They're not worried about where their next meal is going to come from because they're looking to their parents. They're, they're trusting in them. They're not, they're not concerned necessarily about tomorrow. They're satisfied 
because they trust that someone's taking care of them. And this fits so nicely with the themes and the realities of Psalm 130 that we looked at last week. There is confidence in the Lord. There's confidence in His presence that's crucial in times of waiting. But honestly, it's crucial for all of your life. Because we never move on from being being dependent on the Lord like a child with his mother. And it's in those quiet moments before the Lord, with the Lord, that our quieted souls allow us to have hope. I was reading Psalm 23 this morning. There's the imagery of there of, of God being a gentle shepherd who leads us to green pastures and still waters and allows us to rest in his presence that he's taking care of us, that he's leading us, that he goes before us, with us, and behind us. And we simply just get to be in his presence. But you may be thinking, that sounds great, but man, there's so many things to do in my life. I've got so much that I have to get done in a given day. So much to take care of. So much responsibility. How in the world can I do things like this? Quietly sitting in the presence of the Lord. I'm glad you asked. There's a good little case study about this in the, good, in the book of Luke. So if you have your Bible, you can flip open to Luke 10 if you want. There's just a few short verses that I just want to read us just to illustrate this for us this morning. Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. It's the last verses of the chapter. And Jesus has been traveling around. At this point, he's transitioning to another situation. It says this in verse 38 of chapter 10. This previous people had moved on their way. It says, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. So what's going on here? Jesus has come to this house, and there's his family, these two sisters, Martha and Mary, and he comes with probably likely other disciples there, and Martha is going to throw a party. She's excited that he's there, and so she's working and getting all these things done and making sure that everything's laid out correctly and the food's prepared perfectly so they can have a great time together. And Mary, her sister, is just chilling with Jesus. She's just hanging out. It says she's sitting at his feet listening to him. And there's a key word in this story here. It says, Martha was distracted. She's excited that Jesus is there, but she's not spending any time with Jesus. She's more concerned about the circumstances surrounding Christ instead of Christ himself sitting there, missing the gift of his presence in her presence. And Jesus points out, Martha, you're anxious. You're anxious. You're troubled about so many things. But then he says something else key. There's one thing that is necessary. And that's the good portion that Mary has chosen. Now, if you're a type A person, uh, you know, you care about these kinds of things. You're a type A person, and I think, there's, I think there's a lot of you here. And I can say that I'm a type A kind of person. You look at this story, and if you're like me, the first thing you think is like, but there was so much to get done. Like, she wanted to have a good time and have all these people over at her house. Like, of course she was busy and, and frantic to get all these things taken care of. There's stuff to do. 
But notice, Jesus isn't calling Martha, and he isn't calling you to irresponsibility. And I don't think that's where most of us actually struggle in Northern Virginia anyway. Most of us don't have too much margin in our lives. We have none. And so this isn't a call to irresponsibility. It's a call to keep fighting, to keep first things first. So having a full life is not wrong. Having things to do is not wrong. It's just not best when it's at the expense of or neglect of time at the feet of Jesus. I want to be really clear here. God does not love you less if you don't spend enough time with him. And God doesn't love you more if you do. Our relationship with him is not based on our works and what we can present to him. But as Kevin DeYoung points out in his book, Crazy Busy, that we talked about the first week, he says, God's not glaring at us from heaven when we have a hectic day. And yet, he knows that we are missing out on the good portion. He's not glaring at you in disappointment. He's sad that you're missing out on this moment to be in his presence. So sojourn, this sermon is not a call to heap a burden on you. It's not a a call to give you a box to check or something else to squeeze into your already squeezed and hurried life. This isn't a call to legalism, church. This is a call to life. To life. It's a call to calm and quiet and joy and peace. And I need to hear this just as much as most, probably many of us do this morning man, I overbook my life all the time. I overschedule my life all the time, and I often leave no margin in my day because this, whatever this is, needs to get done. It has to be accomplished. And for me personally, tasks for Jesus often overrule time with Jesus in my life. At its core, this heart-level issue for me Earlier I said I find my identity in doing rather than being, but I also think I feel more valued in doing rather than being. God, what can I do for you? Rather than just simply being able to sit at his feet, enjoying his presence. But the truth that we need to believe in a culture that doesn't believe it is that power and purpose are not tied to how busy we can make our day. So there's a challenge to calming and quieting our soul. It's a challenge to make time, unhurried time, to sit at the feet of Jesus. Because something else always demands your time. When you allow the rest of your life to rule your schedule, it's always going to take from you. And so it's a challenge to make time, unhurried time, to sit at the feet of Jesus in his word, in prayer, in silence, in solitude, but in worship. Because we do, we live in a culture that's addicted to immediacy. We often, as one pastor says, we often confuse activity with achievement. Believing the more that we do, the more that we achieve, and that's better. And then a hurried life and a hurried culture calls us to independence, moving quickly, not to slowing down. Time with the Father? Man, what a waste. So, see, we need to recognize that our culture is not passive in this. Our culture preaches to us. It's always giving us a message. It's a proclaiming messages and making promises. Look, you need to get a lot done, but listen, if you need some time to calm and quiet, if you feel some restlessness, some turmoil within you, I've got some suggestions for you. Our culture will throw at you. Man, go after a substance. Man, if you just 
If you just take a substance, whatever it is, drink or drug, then that'll help calm and quiet your soul. Maybe it's exercise, that that becomes the thing that rules your life. So we sacrifice time at the feet of Jesus to pursue the physical exercise or food. Maybe it's eating too much or too little or being obsessed with what we are eating. That those things we think, if I can just do this, then I'll calm and quiet my soul. Maybe it's sex or relationships of any kind. And all of those things in and of themselves may not be necessarily bad things. Exercise and food and relationships are good, but when they become the only thing, the major thing, the necessary thing in our life to pursue at the sacrifice and expense of sitting at the feet of Jesus, then we've missed what God has for us. Maybe for some of us, when we think we've had a crazy week, a busy week, we think, man, I just can't wait to binge watch on Netflix. And culture tells us that all the time. That's a good use of your time. Domino's Pizza right now says, you're planning on binge watching? Order some pizza. That's their promo right now. Man, just thinking like, oh, that's a great use. If I could just, I've got turmoil in my heart, my soul. I just, I'm just going to watch for hours on end so I can disengage. So what do you believe? What do you go to to calm and quiet the inner turmoil of your heart and life? Kevin DeYoung in his book again says if someone recorded your life for a week or a month and showed it to a complete group of strangers and asked them to point out what is the good portion in your life, what is the one thing that is necessary in your life, what would they say? What are other trappings to not spending time with Jesus? Maybe for some of us it's that we can't do it the way that we want to do it, and so we don't do it at all. Maybe for a lot of us, if we're honest, it's just simply that we're not making the time to do it. The hurried culture and hurried life champions our ability and wherewithal to get things done and make things happen. But the psalmist understands that when we do this, we miss that which is most true and gives us the most hope and peace. That we are dependent like children on the living God and he invites us, invites us to experience his presence. We have to slow down to realize it and take advantage of the gift that it is. So what does this look like? What does it look like for us to enjoy the presence of God? Rest for our souls is found in coming to Christ. And for some of us here this morning, maybe the first thing for you is to actually come to Christ for the first time. To recognize that anything else that you're trying to satisfy your life with, to receive satisfaction and joy and peace can't be found in anything but Jesus. So Jesus invites you to himself. For those of us that have already trusted in Christ, the privilege that we have is that we don't just come to Christ once, we come to him over and over and over again. Not for our salvation. Jesus has declared it is finished, but we come to him for our sanctification, for being made more like Jesus. We come to him for our joy. And so sitting at the feet of Jesus is both a corporate and an individual endeavor. It's a corporate that we do it together and as individuals. What that means is that sitting at the feet of Jesus, one of the ways that we get to do that is to gather together every week as the church. Man, this is God's gift to us to sit at the feet of Jesus, to be in the presence of God, to acknowledge that he is the covenant Lord, that we get to be in relationship with him and with one another. That we get to sing songs about who he is and who we are in relation to him, that we get to hear the word preached and read and prayed over us. 
that we get to hear the voices of our brothers and sisters sing out in faith to the truths that we maybe desperately need to believe this week. Sitting where you're sitting is a means of grace to you. Not because anyone that will ever step foot on this stage is amazing or awesome, but because the God we preach about is. And every week when we go about our Monday through Friday, Monday through Saturday, it's so easy for us to forget that. So my encouragement to you is to make this a priority in your life. That you would think about gathering with the church as the most, one of the most critical, important things that you could do during the week. That you'd make an effort to prepare your hearts before you come. That you'd consider what you're about to do. That you'd come early to gather with God's people and be engaged fully in what's happening each and every week. You need to be here. And other people need you to be here too. We get to take communion every week, reminding one another as we take the bread and drink the cup that Christ's body wasn't just broken for me, it was broken for all of us. His blood shed for all of us. We get to celebrate that together and to be encouraged that our brothers and sisters are eating and drinking with us, to party together at what Jesus has done for us. Man, when we come, the presence of God is real and active in these moments to encourage our hearts, to help us remember and to calm and quiet our souls before the God who is in charge and in control of every aspect of our life. But then there's the individual peace too. That God has given us his word, his living and active word for us to spend time in. That we want to know what God's will is for our life. We can open up the scriptures and see what he's called us to. That we get to spend time in prayer communicating with the living God. That we get to talk with him and be in relationship with him, commune with him. So let me just encourage you when it comes to doing that throughout the week is you have to plan for that. Disconnect from everything else that's going on around you. Put your phone away. Can I be just real, real honest with you? Get, get a paper Bible. Like a real bound Bible. I know everybody has the scriptures on their phones and that is a gift to us that we can access God's word on our devices. But everything else is on there too. Your reminders that go off, your emails that come in, Facebook, Instagram, whatever it is. And set that aside and just open up God's word and read it. Spend time in it, just sitting and soaking it up. Jesus went away to desolate places to pray and spend time with his Father. And so we can too. See, sitting at the feet of Jesus is both corporate and individual, but sitting at the feet of Jesus never just happens. We don't just do this or change this out of our own willpower and determination to do better this week. The very first thing we have to do is actually believe that it's better. Wanting to be with Jesus and being with him are the only things strong enough to actually pull us away from busyness. For some people, that's easier said than done. As we talked about the very first week, some of us are in seasons of our life where the hurried life has been placed on us, and we don't really have a choice to change those circumstances. Maybe it's because of your job or you're with your kids or, or whatever it happens to be. And so I just want to encourage you, if that's you, you may be thinking, well, I can't do this. I want to encourage you to be creative. Ask for help from someone else who's in the same life stage that you're in or has been in that life stage. How did you do this? How can we encourage one another in this? Be creative in that. Think about things like listening to the scriptures on audio. 
letting God's word be spoken over you. There's a new uh, app that's just come out recently called Streetlights, where the word of God is read over. You like that? That's good. It has a, it has a beat to it. So if you like a beat with your scripture, then you can read that. It's really well done. You can just let God's word just, just be read over you each and every day. Maybe as you're going about the other things that you have to do in those moments. Listen to soul-stirring, affection-producing songs. It'll draw you to the presence of the Lord. Man, if you're in that place in life, let me just also encourage you to rest in grace. And God knows where you're at right now. Maybe all you have time for because your kids are banging down your door is to read one verse. Then that one verse can give you life. God's word is living and active. But for so many of the rest of us, Man, it's not those things. We have time. We just have to prioritize it and make it a priority in our lives. Listen, as one pastor said, it's not wrong to be tired. It's not wrong to feel overwhelmed. It's not wrong to go through seasons of complete chaos. What is wrong and heartbreakingly foolish and wonderfully avoidable is to live a life with more craziness than we want because we have less Jesus than we need. And sojourn, I want us to have a passion for God. I want to have a passion and zeal for the Lord. And sometimes I wonder as I look at my own life, do I have one foot in burnout and one foot out? One foot in bitterness and one foot out. And so I need to make changes to my own life, my own ministry. A phrase that comes to mind a lot for me that I long for in my own life is that I would linger long with the Lord that I would linger long with the Lord like Joshua did at the tent of meeting with Moses, that after they had had their meeting, he just wanted to hang out there and linger in the presence of the living God. As a husband, as a dad, as a pastor and a person, I need more time to make more time, more margin to linger long with Jesus. And I have to fight for that time. It means I need to say no to certain things. I need to say no to people sometimes. And if I'm going to survive as a pastor in this church or a pastor in any church, if I'm going to survive to be able to do this for the rest of my life, to thrive in it, not just survive, but to thrive in it, then I need to calm and quiet my soul in the presence of our God. I need you to encourage me in that. Hold me accountable to it as I hold you accountable as well. Another pastor said, I want to know contentment of soul that is based not on my circumstances, but on my unshakable restfulness in God. Man, that's what I want for you and for me. Contentment for our souls that is based on restfulness in God. In God and who He is. The God of steadfast love and plentiful redemption. And church, we have the privilege because of what Christ has done for us to crawl up into the lap and arms of our living God and experience His presence. And every moment of every day is an opportunity for us not to just see it as a mundane moment, an ordinary moment, to just stop and acknowledge the fact that we're breathing and alive in God's creation. Every moment is an opportunity for rec- us to recognize His presence. And how different would our lives be if we would recognize this to be true? How different might our interactions with our coworkers or our kids be if we recognize this? How different might our interactions and relationships with our spouses or our friends be if we would recognize this? The last verse, verse 3, is very similar to last week. And I just title it Purpose for this reason. Our purpose is to be a community of hope. 
as this truth has worked through David's heart, like last week in Psalm 130, he declares it to the community, O Israel, O God's people, hope in the Lord now and forevermore. And we are a community of hope, hope that's rooted in the unchanging truth of the gospel, that we've been rescued and restored and reconciled to the living God. And as we spend time at the feet of Jesus, we remember that, we're reminded of that, and so we can go forth encouraging and helping one another to do that. Maybe right now you're like, I want to spend time with Jesus, I just don't know how. There are a ton of people here that would love to help you do that. And turn to the person next to you. Go to community group this week and say, look, I'm, I'm hungry for this. Would you just help me? I don't know what to do. Then we can help each other hope in the Lord now and forevermore. Brothers and sisters, let's be a family that believes and champions and pursues the calming and quieting presence of our God who gives us that hope now and forever. Amen. As we come to the table this morning, we come to a meal of hope and presence. The bread we eat and the cup we drink is a picture. It's a reminder of what Jesus has done for us so that we might be called children of God, so that we might be able to experience the calming presence of the Father. But also in this meal, we get to experience the very real presence of our Lord. He's not in the bread or in the cup, but he is here with us. And this is a holy moment to experience for his refreshing grace for our weary souls. And so as you come forward this morning, I want to encourage you, before you eat the bread, before you drink the cup, to just stop and pause to search your heart, to confess your sin, and come in reverence and in awe to partake of this gift of grace. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, we would ask you not to come forward to the table. The reason for that is because this table, this meal, doesn't do anything for you. And so instead of taking this bread and this cup, we want you to actually take Christ first. We want you to experience his grace and his forgiveness for the very first time. And so you can pray in your seat that God would open up your heart to him, that you would partake of that forgiveness he gives to you in Jesus. And if you have questions about what it means to know Christ or follow Christ, please hang out with us. We'd love to journey with you in that. For those of you that will come forward, you can come to the front or to the back. Tear off a piece of bread and take a cup to drink and hear what Christ has done for you this morning. Let's pray. God, we praise you for your grace, that through Christ we can know you, through Christ we are known by you, and Lord, we just acknowledge the fact that your presence is a gift to us, and so we pray that you'd help us to see, help us to see as an invaluable gift to us, and to slow down and pursue unhurried time at the feet of Jesus. Lord, may that be something we encourage one another with, that we would fight for that with one another and for one another, believing that that is the necessary thing, that is the good portion for us. And that gives us purpose. As David declares in verse 3, the purpose, the hope that we have as God's people to be a people of hope and encourage one another and the rest of our world with it. So Lord, help us to pause and practice presence, being with you this week. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.